0: Good morning and welcome to Midpoint, your mid-morning midweek source for news and public affairs from a local perspective. I'm here with our terrific WMNF volunteers who make the show go. Jessica Green is on the soundboard, and Barbara Fling is ready to take your calls, comments, and questions. So join in our conversation today. You can call us at 813 813- 239 9663. You can email me at dj at djwmnf.org or text us at 813 433 0885. If you follow local news at all, I know you'll have some questions or comments for our guests today. Patrick Montega is with us in the studio. Many of you know that Patrick is the editor and publisher of La Gazeta, the nation's only trilingual newspaper founded by Patrick's grandfather, Victoriano Montega, and published since around 1922 in yep. Spanish, Italian, and English. It is the oldest family-owned minority newspaper in the United States. So welcome, Patrick, and congratulations on... it's a, Is it 100 years of La Gaceta?
1: It's 100 years, and thank you for having me in the studio.
0: 100 years, wow, that's quite something. Um, Patrick, I think you would agree that... Um, Latins have a real passion for politics. And ever since La Gazette began, it has been it's up-to-the-minute coverage of local politics and political gossip that has really kept it a must-read in Tampa and Hillsborough County political circles. Your own column, which is called As We Heard It, which I think began with your father, wasn't it, Patrick?
1: I inherited it.
0: Yeah, from Roland, <laughs> yes. your father. Um, and your column is often first With the political news on the local scene, and you frequently scoop the Times and before that, the Tampa Tribune on some of these political machinations going on locally. Um, Lord knows you've had a lot to cover in Tampa politics these days. Uh, But before we go there, Patrick, tell us uh, your view of how Tampa, Hillsborough... And its politics have changed since you've been covering the news. You personally, since what, the late '90s or the or the '80s? Yeah, well,
1: I started with the newspaper in 1984, um, doing sales. But you know, over the years, you uh, uh, started to uh, you know ghostwrite my grant my father's column as he started to have some medical issues. But. Always was there at his side when he was interviewing somebody at La Tropicana restaurant, and so I learned a lot that from him. That was his and,
0: headquarters, right? Yeah,
1: and got to uh, witness uh, you know history there, and so it's uh, uh it's been a long time, and you know been an observer of Tampa politics since the '80s.
0: Yeah, now right around that time, 1984, that was around the time that I came to Tampa. I was a baby lawyer when Barry Cohen, who was then, you know. A lion of the tampa criminal defense bar Mm -hmm. recruited me to come down from new york and i've always felt that the reason that that happened was because nobody locally could work for him because all of the criminal defense lawyers who at that time were democrats were under subpoena by the federal government in connection with a host of corruption investigations
1: yeah during the reagan uh, administration uh, they had a a bunch of uh, U.S. attorneys that uh, throughout the South uh, decided to go after a lot of the Democratic uh, political institutions. And in uh, this uh, area, they went after E.J. Salsinas, uh, yeah. state attorney.
0: And Barry Cohen represented him then. He mm-hmm. was the state attorney for quite a long time, I think like 20 years or something right. at the time that he was uh, under investigation, which we should make very clear never resulted in any uh, charges, convictions, Correct. or what have and, you, and but, eventually
1: he achieved redemption when uh, McKay appointed him as a, a judge and uh, served honorably on the bench.
0: Right, right, in the, on the state court bench. But now, now Tampa's big time, and uh, you know it seems like a lot of those same kind of political uh, maneuvers and and power power fights uh, seem to be coming up again. I mean, in those days, though. In the 80s, like the mid-80s, we had real corruption locally in in Hillsborough. We had our county commission, I think, was it every one of them except Jan Platt was indicted uh, for corruption. And the corruption all revolved around deals with
1: developers. Correct. Um, and uh, we continue to have those same issues, uh, and we have had them forever. Um, you know, uh, it's gotten more sophisticated. Back then they used to call them bagmen. Now they call them consultants. <laughs> uh, but money still gets spread around through politics and through uh, the hiring of certain architects, the hiring of certain people. And um, so, you know, I always find it interesting. Uh, you know, in the old days they called it Belita. It was illegal. Now we call it the lottery and it's legal. It's It's the same act. It just all of a sudden. Uh, miraculously, becomes uh, okay with the law.
0: Well, we had some. We had real corruption back in those days. I mean, we had indictments of sure. our political, uh, of our elected officials. We had indictments. We had convictions, um, uh, and we had the investigations that were used as ways to remove people from power. Um, when. Um, Really, in the end, like in E.J. Salsinas' case, there was no, you know, there was no uh, conviction. There was no, actually no indictment even. Right. You know, there was no probable cause to believe there was any crime. No grand jury indictment, nothing. But yet he was removed from office by the then Republican U.S. attorney, Robert Merkel, um... -hmm. And, uh, and
1: replaced with uh, politically with Bill James, who won election because of the smear campaign on EJ.
0: Yeah, they leaked that he had taken the fifth that in uh-huh. in the grand jury, and I, you know what what I found so interesting looking back at the history of Tampa because I was an outsider when I came. What I learned very quickly is that Hillsborough County and the city of Tampa was divided into two. There was, and it was really a pivotal moment in the change of, of of this place becoming, you know, from small time, small town to big time, mm-hmm. because it was a time when f- there was uh, the growth of the suburbs. Up until that point, you know, the city was really the center of the universe, and the city was primarily uh, Latin, democratic, um, and and of course, by Latin I mean. Spanish, Italian, Hi. and the German Jews who came early, mm-hmm. and and that whole crowd was was democratic, and uh, they were urban, and then you had the growth of the suburbs, Carrollwood, um, and some of the East County suburbs like Riverview were growing, mm-hmm. and you had an influx of people who were all Republican white Anglo's, and um, and as you said, the Reagan administration put those people into power in the U.S. Attorney's Office, into power in the FBI, whereas the Sheriff's Department and the State Attorney's Office were still that Latin mm-hmm. uh, Democratic power base. And there was a real conflict. It was a real struggle as to who was going to maintain or take a, take the power in this sure. area
1: in the 80s. One, well, the Republicans uh, won that and, and have for a long time. But, of course, we've witnessed in the last few years the switch back to where... Uh, Hillsborough County is becoming more uh, urban centered, uh, where Tampa has become more of the seat of power again. And um, that um, the county, the pendulum swung back in this county, at least, is becoming more democratic.
0: Well, yeah, to some extent, I think that's true. But also, um, you know, there's a huge Republican power base, especially in the east part of the county mm-hmm. and the south part of the county. Um, we have the county has flipped from deep red to blue mm-hmm. in the in terms of the county commission, and that's made a huge difference. I think,
1: and and, and also with constitutional officers. I mean, you know, I remember yeah, when a majority was Republican, and now we're majority Democrat. So, um, um, no, it, it it switched it. it um, uh, and, and of course, that's also switched kind of the field towards development too. Uh, there's a lot more caution in the county commission over development that. Uh, uh, during the early 2000s, there was, uh, you know, they were just doing it left and right. They didn't care how much they built.
0: Yeah. Now, speaking of that, we have a caller uh, on air who wants to talk about corruption and development. Okay, anonymous, you're on the air. Good morning. Good morning Hi. to you.
2: I heard you guys uh, speaking about the corruption um, over the last few years, but uh, more so in the 80s. I just want to, um, you know, point out that there, it is still very much um, happening now. Um, within our uh, county government, um, maybe not to the extent it was back then, but I mean, it's not really um, you know, being investigated, but it is happening. I mean, uh, you know, we have developers that are putting hundreds of thousands of dollars into campaign contributions for, um, you know, county commissioners. We also have,
0: uh, for- or against county commissioners. For example, there's that group in the East County that has come together to try to. Um, Influence the elections uh, or support the opponents of some of these Democratic county commissioners who've been reluctant to approve mm-hmm. so much growth, you know, sprawl in East County. And there's that group of developers now that's come together um, for the purpose of opposing them. Absolutely.
2: Yes. And, you know, they had their packs and stuff. And then even individually, they, you know, donate to the campaign contributions. There's one company. Um, he, uh, Jeff Hills he owns over 80 different LLCs um, and he uses those to give a thousand dollars per company to uh, so multiple companies. Like Ken Hagen, you've given him 55 grand. Um, yeah. And there's uh, and actually you just gave 20 grand to uh, Michael Owens who is running for District Four all in one day. Um, and then also that same developer has uh, you know done business with uh, zoning hearing officers like James Scarola, um, who owns the Tampa Bay mitigating Company. And um, you can see it right there in the Swift my report that Jeff Hills and Lenar do business with him at the same exact time that he's approving their zoning request.
0: Yeah. He's one of those, I think, part of that group, Jeff Hills. Yeah. But, but isn't that, that what we're that still
2: going on? And, you know, development has not slowed down either. Uh, Lenar can get a permit within 11 days, uh, turnaround time which
0: is insane
2: um so yeah there's you know it's still full force and we're feeling it i live in south Hillsborough county
0: well you Uh, know i mean we don't have indictments of anybody in our political class like we did in the 80s um where people were just pocketing not in necessarily in their campaigns but in their actual pockets um Moneys from developers, yeah, but, but
1: like I said, there's it's more sophisticated now. You know, it's not that it isn't happening; it's just that it's happening in a legal manner. You know, uh, um, you're able to unduly influence the county commissioner by handing them a lot of money that for their
0: campaigns, that, yeah, which for their is campaigns
1: legal. that, and then but they can also use it for computers and other things that benefit them, food and the meetings, um, and then of course they a lot of times can hire people who. Um, you know, they want to benefit, and that can turn around and and help them. So, you know, there's this roundabout way nowadays of of payola flowing through the system and it being perfectly legal. Well,
0: thanks for your call, Anonymous. We appreciate it. Thanks for calling in. Well, uh, let's... um Turn for a moment to um, what has been going on from the... Let's move from the county and turn for a moment to what has been going on in the city because we have a lot to talk about there.
1: It's a a real mess over there. Um, uh, We've uh, lost one uh, city councilman, uh, resigned, uh, felt he couldn't uh, afford his uh, legal fees to defend himself anymore. Uh, We have another that... uh, uh, the city seems to be going after for harassment issues regarding an employee and um, and we we have a, a lot of issues that are very um concerning uh, Hannah Avenue was a over a hundred million dollar project that seemed to grow from a, a ten million dollar project without any additional bids um, but we have a police chief selection that Seem to have no transparency whatever, whatsoever. And, uh, and you also seem to have a situation where um, the mayor wants to do city council's job. And sometimes city council wants to do the mayor's job. But mostly the mayor wants to control city council. And that's just not her job. Be mayor. It's powerful enough. Leave city council alone.
0: Yeah, we have the echoes of our uh, governor taking over. Um, the constitutional authority of the legislature to uh, draw the redistricting maps for Congress, and sure. and the legislature, the Republican legislature, just capitulating to them and say, "Okay, do what you want." Um, yeah. And and you know, it appears that, to some extent, at least, that you know the mayor's office wants to be that same type of unitary executive and and uh, just bypass. Council's role as uh, oversight. Um, But let me just make a a public service announcement here. I've received word that the Courtney Campbell Causeway is closed in both directions this morning because of a deadly crash. And Tampa police expect the Courtney Campbell Causeway to be closed for several hours. So if you're Driving uh, 60 over to Pinellas or from Pinellas toward Tampa, take another route because the Courtney Campbell cl- Causeway is closed and will remain closed for several hours. Okay, so now going back, let's let's break it down a little bit. Uh, let's talk about the John Dingfelder uh, situation first. And you wrote a column about the John Dingfelder situation in La Gaceta in your, as we heard it, column a couple weeks ago, mm-hmm. I guess. And I thought it was a uh, very, uh, you know, very uh, astute. And uh, you know, one of the one of the things that I took from that column was uh, it sounded like your perception that what was happening to John Dingfelder was very much like a warning that those in politics who challenged the mayor or the friends of the mayor, and let's not forget that over half of the mayor's political pack was funded. By those same developers uh, that Dingfelder tried to protect the neighborhoods, especially south of Gandhi, from. Mm-hmm. Um, and it looks like, at least in your column, it sounded like you thought it looked like that if you oppose the mayor and her friends, you may find yourself the target of the mayor. You may find yourself the target of some sort of uh, campaign by friends of the mayor, Um to disparage you, or even in the case of Dingfelder, remove you from office. And,
1: and I and I would stand by that. I think that there's been discussions in the mayor's office about uh, about how to make some of these commissioners look bad. And uh, and I think that uh, what you saw with Dingfelder was a very organized thought process of, uh, of um, basically encouraging a lawsuit against him, and then and then saying that there would be no. Support financial support for uh, defending him, and um, and the city had a self-insured board of directors uh, and board uh, policy. Uh, you know, most time when you join a board, you get some protection DNA from apology. this. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, so they but, 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 have, they but theirs was self-insured, so the city never really had any policies written about how to use it, and so they were making it up as they go. Uh, but there's, uh, you know. When he was asked for public records request on his own phone, uh, the city should have stepped in and offered him a pathway of of helping him uh, deal with that. In a way that uh, would respond to the public records request, but without him having to hand over every record he had to the city for their perusal,
0: or pay for a forensic examiner to go through, sure. like a make a Chinese wall between the personal and the public,
1: right? Um, and, and a forensic examiner would have been fine, and 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 you can charge people who make public records requests where there's a cost. So, uh, you know, the city could have advised him to have charged for it appropriately, and uh, this could have happened without him having all these costs, but um, by the city attorney pulling the rug out from under city council saying, basically, it's not going to use city attorneys to represent them on any of this stuff. Uh, You know, they've made it very clear they don't want to represent goods either and and charges against this harassment issue. And um,
0: yeah, we're going to talk about goods in a minute, too.
1: But it's kind of the same thing. You know, they're saying we're not going to legally represent you, which means that all of these. City councilmen who make around forty forty two something like that thousand dollars they can't afford hundred thousand dollars in legal expenses i mean I'm a public uh, official on the sports authority If I was going to be sued from a volunteer job, I'd just get out of it that 's all you could do
0: yeah who's going to want to run for those Jobs and expose themselves to that potential liability let 's talk about that hostage letter that Dingfelder put out that hostage statement it's at least that 's how it appeared um, in his resignation, and how there were certain portions of it that didn 't seem to have anything to do. With the lawsuit itself. Yeah, there's there's
1: parts that seem to uh, say that the city attorney, that he understood why she didn't defend him. What was that? And and, and so it looked like it was written in consultation with the city and with the city attorney. and, And, you know, I've been around too long, man. You know, when it's that suspicious, there's a reason.
0: Yeah, and then like we have to give some props to Creative Loafing and reporter Justin Garcia for doing a, a terrific job pulling the public records uh, around this whole issue that seems to to show that the city attorney herself was using her own personal phone no. to have communications with. Uh, Michelini and or Loeb um, during around the same period that this hostage statement was being drafted. Now, of course, we don't know what was said in those conversations. But what we do know, at least according to the reporting of Creative Loafing, is that she herself did not uh, turn over all the public records that were requested from her personal phone. Which seems to be the same thing that they sued John Dingfelder over.
1: Well, and she has said that during those conversations, she did not feel there was any attorney-client privilege between her and John, uh, which is very odd. So she basically said whatever she said to the attorney was fine because, you know, uh, she was not, John was not her client.
0: Yeah, which I mean,
1: it, as an I mean, attorney, a lawyer, yeah, yeah, I mean, I, I'm, <laughs> I was just
0: really kind of stunned by that, and um, and I'm grateful for creative to creative loafing for um, getting that information out there. Um, I, I just think that um, it's just pretty astounding that the the evidence that that they've reported on seems to indicate that she. Her, did exactly the same thing that John was sued over. Right,
1: and, and did not have those records available Didn't, when somebody asked for them. No. She had to get it from a private source.
0: From a private source because they were not available from her Self. or the city. Right. Well, we've
1: also recently just had a lawsuit that, that got settled in South Florida that said that um, communications between a council person and their spouse are not necessarily public record unless the spouse was acting as a private citizen and the council person was acting as a councilman. Or councilwoman, and in this case, some of the original things that started this case was some email, uh, some text to uh, uh, John's wife, Lynn. And I think, in hindsight, I don't even think they were public records to begin with.
0: That's that was my concern about. The beginning of the case, going, why is this a public record? Why are these yeah. requests co- contemplated as being all public records?
1: Yeah, and then I'm sure you know the uh, a more aggressive city attorney who is more in favor of John would have talked about that and 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 fought some of those public records requests.
0: One of the other things that I think is so interesting in contrast to our uh, political corruption history of the '80s was that you know. John was never accused of being involved in any corruption, and there's no evidence out there of any corruption. Let's be clear about that. There's no suggestion that he ever made a dime in any way that was inappropriate for a public official. Correct. And yet the mayor came out last week in a speech about transparency and accountability and referred to the Dingfelder scandal and that's a quote of hers, you know. She referred to to the whole situation as a scandal. And I, I just, you know, how is it a scandal?
1: And it isn't. And it's a
0: legal dispute over a public record. This a, yeah, a
1: smokescreen. And, and, and at the end of the day, the only scandals that I can see about transparency are hers. We still have no transparency over over the bidding of the Hen Avenue Project. And we still have no transparency over how we ended up with, the, with this police chief. You know, how we did a, a nationwide search that somehow didn't net in any nationwide uh, netting of, of candidates. And, uh, and then somehow we got to her without any grading process, without any, uh, without any process that I know of whatsoever. I mean, delegado wasn't brought in and given an interview by the mayor.
0: Um, yeah. Do you know? Do you want to know what Patrick Montego of La Gaceta has heard, um, that he hasn't put in his column called As We Heard It? Uh, give us a call and let's ask him at 813-239-9663. Email dj at wmnf.org or text us at 813 813- 433-0885. We're talking to Patrick Montega, who's the publisher of La Gazette, the nation's only trilingual newspaper, but more significantly to this discussion, uh, someone who has his finger on the pulse of local Tampa and Hillsborough County politics and has had that finger there since the 80s and always seems to come up with the latest, greatest uh, political news and political gossip, uh, scooping even the times. Um, and we want to know how that happens. How, how does that happen from your your den in Ybor City? How is it that people talk to you and, uh, and give you this information before anybody else seems to have
1: it? I think it's just trust. Um, you know, you have to protect your sources. You have to Use information correctly. And I think that uh, over the years, uh, when you've maintained the same position, the same place, people uh, get to know you and uh, that reputation spreads. So, you know, one of the one of the advantages I've had is is the turmoil in the media here overall. There's not a lot of people been around as long as I have.
0: Right. And Um, there's no more like regular beat reporters who year after year sit in at the county commission or the city Council and follow and have the institutional knowledge that you have had after so many years of following the same.
1: Uh, and, then, and then you find that some newspapers are uh, and some media sources are seem to be either pro mayor or pro council, and so that also determines who comes to you. You know, if you uh, if you feel like you're. Uh, uh, pro-council. You wouldn't talk to certain medias that you feel are just going out of their way to be supportive of the mayor.
0: Uh-huh. Tampa Bay Business Journal. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Excuse me. <laughs> and vice versa. If you're a real ally of the mayor, you might not come to me because I haven't shown myself to be a, 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 an ally of the mayor. I've shown myself to be very concerned about, about the division of uh, power here.
0: Yeah. Well, we have an email from Stephanie who says, uh, Good morning. Yesterday afternoon, the Ethics Committee for the City of Tampa met for the first time since September 15th of 2022. And at the beginning of the meeting, before they went into closed session, they said they hadn't had an ethics complaint in four years. So how did they spend $98,000 to investigate goods? Stephanie wants to know. And in addition, what about Gina Grimes' release after Dingfelder resigned? What about her release of all those uh, ethics allegations that never went anywhere that would have been confidential had they been submitted as an actual ethics complaint? But because the city chose not to submit them, she could put them out in uh, in the public arena. And now we have this 98... $1,000 $1,000 bill from Trenum for the investigation of Gouds.
1: Well, I, uh, I asked for uh, all the ethics complaints from the city from last September to today. Uh, and the public records request I got a week and a half ago uh, had only one item, and that was John Dingfelder. It wasn't even Gouds. So the only file they ha- handed over to me was uh, John Dingfelder. I don't necessarily believe that's true haven't gotten back around to the city to find out uh, uh, are there ones that are not reporting to me. But um, like I said, in this case, there's not even a goods complaint.
0: Well, according to Stephanie, who apparently was monitoring this ethics committee mm-hmm. meeting, uh, they said they hadn't had an ethics complaint in four years. So, how did they spend $98,000 yeah. to investigate well, goods? And where's, where you and, know, and how they did I did,
1: end up with Dingfelder's right. when I asked that question to them and they gave me a Dingfelder right, file? Right,
0: right, because apparently, you know, At least as it's been reported in the news, Mm -hmm. had an official complaint been made, an official ethics complaint been made, it would have been confidential until it was resolved. But because it wasn't actually made, Gina Grimes went ahead and released it to the public in a sort of a smear campaign um, because there's no opportunity for Dingfelder to rebut. Any of those allegations or no opportunity for any, you know, judge or arbiter or committee to review the allegations and determine, hey, there was no problem here. The guy never made a dime off any of these contacts with the city.
1: Well, people always believe the worst about politicians anyway. And so, you know, once you get a little bit of smoke around you, it's just hard to get uh, uh, get people to believe you. And in this case, you know, uh, they created enough sensation around John to where, you know, he had an unfair trial in the public.
0: Yeah, it was all a trial in the in the public, but it was only one-sided. Right. He never got to make a defense because part of that hostage statement
1: it says I won't won't defend myself. Yeah,
0: he he basically agreed to an NDA or a gag order and was never never had the opportunity to defend himself. Um, I need to make an announcement that the Courtney Campbell Causeway is closed in both directions and it will remain closed for several hours. So if you're traveling on 60 between uh, Tampa and Pinellas, you want to find a different route. Uh, The Courtney Campbell Causeway is closed in both directions and will remain so uh, for several hours. All right, so let's talk about the Orlando Good situation. He's been a big critic of the mayor's plans for the Hannah Avenue City Service Center, right. and, and, you know,
1: and one of two who voted against her uh, choice for police chief.
0: Right, and uh, and it does appear um, from the information that's been released in the in the media to date that he was behaving completely inappropriately towards city employees who work for him. Um, and one of those employees initially made a complaint to the city's human resources department but then tried to withdraw her complaint and the the uh the matter went cold at her request but the next thing we know the city attorney and John Bennett and the mayor's chief uh, who's the mayor's chief of staff uh appear to be stalking bullying and hounding her into actually pursuing a claim against goods after she told them to stop and said, stop calling me. (laughs) Um, And when she finally agreed to go forward, lo and behold, there were a slew of additional allegations that never appeared in her initial complaint to HR. Um, Just things that came out only after um, they basically um, induced her to reopen her complaint. Uh, The case got much bigger, and that's when the city hired Trenum, the law firm, to conduct a so-called independent right. investigation for $98,000. Um, it took over a year, I think, right, for them to do that, right. billing by the hour. Um, and, uh, <laughs> and then now uh, the complainant originally hired Grady Irvin as her lawyer. Grady called a press conference, and when the media showed up came out of his office and announced, I just found out I'm no longer her lawyer. She's now represented by Ethan Loeb, who's the same lawyer who handled the John Dingfelder case for... uh,
1: McLeany.
0: McLeany, the developer, yeah. And the same lawyer who's been in communications with the city attorney um, over these matters. So how did that happen?
1: Yeah, we wonder why uh, that happened. Uh, You know, and, and also the city has basically... Said publicly that this woman should go ahead and sue, uh, that she should sue Goods personally. And, um, and so it, it looks very much like the same setup that happened with Dingfelder. You've got a, a situation where, uh, you know, maybe there was, you know, that, that and first of all, Gouds has not had a chance to defend himself. You, right now, the report you're reading is based on one lawyer hearing two sides and choosing a side. And while you know, I, there might be some, some uh, fire with this smoke, I don't think anybody's accusing goods of a crime or anything like that. Um, so it, it's, it's gotten worse. It's gotten to be scandal level, according to the mayor. But once again, no due process here. Um, this, uh, uh, it's very odd that the city decided to do this huge investigation over somebody that it has no power over uh, uh, punishing one way or the other, disciplining. And, um, well, right. do
0: we have any reason to believe the city would be liable financially for any lawsuit, uh, brought by the complainant? Because I, the city I, I has no I've, authority over goods, so how could the city be but the, liable? But, but
1: the city had authority over the employee,
0: okay? So, would yeah, they be liable em- for
1: absolutely, okay? So, yeah.
0: then, so then, I mean, to Play devil's advocate, there is an argument that the city had to pursue this once they became aware of it. Uh, They did say they didn't
1: have to pursue it, but they've now gone from pursuing it to actually uh, saying that Gouds is guilty, saying that this woman should sue, and they're still liable. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, so, so once again, you know... Uh, you would
0: think that they would uh, want to downplay it, not throw gas on the fire. In other
1: words, most people, uh, most corporations, when they have a complaint like this, they like to get rid of it as quickly and easily and nicely as possible. And if that's, you know, paying off the, the offended employee, you do that. If that is uh, fighting the offended employee, you do that. But generally, do you ramp it up and make a press conference about it? And uh, and and do what the city's doing. I mean, they are making the city more liable. They are undermining any city case they have in regards to this. Uh, you know, it appeared that the woman didn't want this investigation and why they just didn't end it at that point. I don't know what corporation wouldn't have ended it yeah. at that point. Well,
0: you know, some people would argue that they had a duty to investigate further despite her... Uh, desire that she wanted to shut it down because they were potentially liable should she, you know, within the statute of limitations, sure, decide sure. to file suit. Sure. You know, there's an argument for that. Yeah. I have a call from Ron I'm going to bring on the air. Ron and Mango, you're on the air. Oh,
3: good morning, and thanks for the uh, uh, conversation you had.
0: Sure. Uh,
3: yes, yeah, so I've been a resident here uh, my entire life, basically, and I grew up in Ebor uh, City, Uh, 13th Street with Hispanic and African American and whoever else populated it. And from there, uh, we moved around a little bit throughout the city. And I got to see uh, the disparities and the cultures being divided and broken down. And that seems to still be going on today. And then when it comes to uh, any type of uh, redress. From the African American community that I had to evolve into, there's always some static and negative energy and some toxicity that goes along with it. So, me personally, I have been attacked by DPD, the sheriff's department, all of them. They fly helicopters over my house. I've said this publicly, and they still do it because it's a form of oppression.
0: Well, do you have a question for Patrick Montega from La Gazeta or some comments about the political status in, in uh, Hillsborough and the city of Tampa right now, some of the, um, right. the po- politics we've been talking about? Right, that is exactly what
3: I'm talking about. That it, it has just transpired into that. Most of the people with money and power have uh, been able to entrench them and their families and whatever, and, and their cronies into power for whatever reason. For example, you were talking about the appointment of the uh, new chief.
0: Yeah.
3: Well, nobody looked at her record. Nobody used her record against her, but when we, as uh, other participants in the community, go, they look at our records and they discard us just for our record. So it's a lot of... Uh, dis- yeah, there was...
0: I, thank you, Ron, for pointing that out. There was a lot of... Um, there was a lot of talk about the fact that, um, you know, she got, she got treated differently than say a minority who was in the same position not necessarily in terms of the disposition of her case when she was a rookie officer but in terms of the way that history was used or not used against her to inhibit her rise in the police department that if that was a you know a black rookie officer who went through the same uh arrest and and the same disposition of the case that that officer would never have risen to the highest uh highest levels in the department is that what you're referring to ron yes because you wouldn't be rehired again yeah every time you go in they'd say hey you know and it's
3: anybody that becomes a political pawn they start just showing this negativity and using the law in an adverse manner against you it's no longer a Diversity thing is just adverse. So, okay, yeah, I'm glad that the attorney, uh, like I said, is very good at pointing out a lot of stuff I've read those. Thank you. Uh, his paper before, and I'm very familiar with it. And in comparison to some of the other papers around here, they don't do any uh uh, uh go out and investigate like I'm saying. And this would this would not be a problem if you pull the rolls down there on a lot of the paperwork. That's why uh, Merkel came in here because uh, it was so much corruption that people was complaining, and it was very open. And if you check any of the books, you're going to find where way Corruption
0: Act. All right, Ron, thank you for your call. We appreciate your comments. Thanks for calling in. Um, I, again, I want to remind our viewers that the Courtney Campbell Causeway is closed in both directions. If you're traveling east to west on 60, you want to find a different route. It's going to be closed for a while. And if you have comments or questions for Patrick Montego of La Gaceta, please give us a call and we'll ask him at 813-239-9663. You can email dj at wmnf.org or you can text us at 813-433-0885. So uh, now um, just to round out the goods discussion, I, I just want to say that His conduct, if it's true, was really reprehensible uh, toward his employee, full stop. Um, But the citizens of Tampa can remove him from office if they choose. They put him there and they can take him out. And the issue is to me, you know, whether the mayor should be in a position to be pushing people out. Elected officials that the city has uh, that serve on the well, city council. Well, not only
1: does she want to push him out, but she also wants to replace him with her person. You know, recently we had a replacement for Dingfelder selected by city council, and and it was obvious to anybody that the mayor was calling all of her friends to support one candidate. And once again, this is the mayor not staying in her lane. City council's duty was to appoint a replacement for Dingfelder. Uh, City Council is a check and balance on the mayor and regarding the budget and some other issues. It's not her power. It's not her decision. It's not within her lane to decide who is going to be doing that check and balancing. She shouldn't be supporting a candidate for an appointed position. And and in this case, she did. And it and she lost in this case. Uh, we ended up with somebody who seems to be very independent.
0: Yeah. Well, uh I think that that's, you know, um, the. it's interesting that the candidate that was championed by the mayor, if I followed the news correctly, it seemed that she was new to Tampa, only here for like three years. Yeah. Um, and hadn't even registered to vote here until she put her name in as as a candidate for the city council sure. appointment.
1: But she had donated to a couple of candidates, one being the mayor. So, <laughs> well,
0: you know, I'm not sure that donations to the mayor really make or break uh, no. somebody's, you know, politics. That the we had a, an interesting election between. Jane Castor and David Straz, a lot of people donated to the mayor who, yeah. nonetheless, may still be considered critics.
1: I was on the wrong side of that one.
0: <laughs> well, uh, let's uh, let's move off this, uh, this city council topic for a little bit because I want to definitely talk to you about – you've been a lifelong Democrat. Yes. You follow politics. You're involved in politics. You've done some consulting uh, for candidates. And you really have your finger on, I think, the pulse of what's going on with Latin voters, Hispanic voters, mm-hmm. and that I don't think that the Florida Democratic Party does <laughs> have, a, have a good strategy for dealing with Hispanic voters. Up until now, it seems like, you know, they've been dealing with the Hispanic population as a unitary, monolithic block of voters just because they speak the same Language, and yeah. I'm not sure that it's it's accurate to say that there's that much commonality between Cubans and Puerto Ricans or Venezuelans or old Cubans versus new Cubans. And so, I wanna I wanna give you some time to comment on what sure. you think needs to be done to engage Hispanic voters for uh, to vote Democratic.
1: Well, you know, the Democratic Party has seemed to just take this feeling that uh, this position that if we're uh, pro-immigration, that uh, Hispanics are going to love that. The problem is, is the Hispanics that love it aren't uh, able to vote. Um, and uh, and a lot of them aren't engaged enough to really understand who is helping them uh, uh, remain here and who isn't. Um, but. Uh, you know, immigration has nothing to do with Puerto Ricans. They can immigrate here. They can come here. They're American citizens the second they step on our soil, uh, on on the continent of the United States, and, and can vote in presidential elections. They can't vote in presidential elections in Puerto Rico. Um, and so we've had this huge influx here. But you have to kind of talk to them separately. that a lot of them are for statehood for Puerto Rico. They do want better lives for their loved ones that remain back on the island. and um, and the party should uh, identify these this group separately and have that kind of a conversation with them about um, about it about trying to create a Puerto Rico that people, can either stay in or come here. It's not necessarily fleeing Puerto Rico because of an economic crisis, which is what many of them have done, or because of an environmental crisis that you had with the hurricane. Um, you know, Venezuelans, um, um, a lot of times want to kind of the same... Uh, things that the, the some of the Cuban exile community want. They want America to go aggressively after Venezuela um,
0: because of the because of socialism.
1: Uh, because of socialism, and so so they're uh, like
0: anti Cuban, anti Castro Cubans in that regard, right?
1: And so the Republican Party spins this as in the fact that they are against socialism, and the Democrats are for socialism although there's as many Democrats uh, supporting the embargo in Cuba as there are Republicans, and there's as many Democrats attack, uh, pushing for an aggressive stance towards Venezuela as there are Republicans. But at the end of the day, we've um, uh, the, the Democrats haven't really been able to have a good policy in regards to Latin America, haven't been able to voice that, haven't been able to uh, even talk to the uh, Latins in the, the right space. I think there should be a big movement with Democratic politics to try and address Latin pastors and priests uh, to let them understand what the Democrats are trying to deliver in the way of education. Uh, what they're trying to deliver in the way of of uh, allowing them to be able to support their family back home through uh, the ability of sending remittances uh, freely and easily, um, of, uh, of us trying to uh, make sure there's local recreational activities for Hispanics that you know we're not dividing our community based on haves and have nots, and and we're just not having that. And then I think the other thing is is that so many Latins come here to succeed. And I think that Democrats have failed to talk to them about how they are supporting them and their effort to... Uh, achieve the American dream, to get that house in the suburbs, to to get the two, the two cars.
0: You know, I had a conversation just yesterday with some political uh, leaders about that very point. I had roofers a while ago who told me they always vote Republican. And I thought to myself, what have Republicans done for you? You know, you work for mm-hmm. a, a minimum wage, you know, roofing houses in the hot sun in Florida. What have they done to make your life better? And really what, what it came down to is people vote their average. Aspirations. They right. vote. Don't they? Don't vote their current quality of life. They see. You know. Uh george bush bumper stickers on the fanciest of cars and they think hey that's what i want so i'm in a vote like that person driving in the mercedes or you know they think uh you know billionaires are republican i want to be a billionaire therefore i need sure. to be a republican
1: and we talked to all, all hispanics as if they just got to the country and and that they're uh facing deportation <laughs> and and and, and and that group it needs to be talked to differently. Like I said, they, they want to be talked to about about how you know under certain you know uh, certain political uh, choices that that they can afford insurance better for their company, that they can uh, have a fair deal when it comes to uh, getting bids uh, on. Uh, yeah, basically big the
0: same things that everybody wants, right? And so um, we, we have
1: to switch that conversation.
0: All right, I want to turn now to um, another issue that I think uh, you have some things to to say, and that is um, the current push to get the all-for-transportation tax back on the ballot. And at the same time, just yesterday, I think there was a workshop uh, by the school board talking mm-hmm. about Increasing the property tax millage to support the schools. And uh, both of those things would have to be put on the ballot and put in front of the voters in the next election. How do you think they're going to feel about uh, agreeing to pay more taxes?
1: Well, I. you know, I felt the last one would pass and it did. This one I'm a little bit concerned about. I'm concerned about it for a few reasons. Number one is that, that, you know, there's still a lot of concerns uh, for people out there about inflation and this would be an inflationary vote. I mean, it would add the price to basically everything you buy except for raw foods. Um, uh, the transportation the tax, transportation I mean, would, because yeah. they're
0: different. Because, yes, they are. Yeah, one yeah. is property tax. Right. That would be the school tax. Sure. tax. And the mm-hmm. other mm-hmm. is a sales tax, yeah. right. an additional penny for transportation. A- and then, my, is I, it a penny? Are they going to do a penny again? Or are they? I think do that's it? what
1: they're talking about. But, yeah. Um,
0: but whatever, it's going to increase your sales tax. Right.
1: And, and so you know then there's also this conversation while we all know that we're behind on on transportation about the fact that the county is getting a slew of new money due to the rising values of property in the state in, in Hillsborough county and so you know should that reduce the amount of additional money we need as a sales tax so i think there has to be a a, a fresh conversation about where the county is what its revenues are compared to its needs and are we right sizing this uh, tax to do what we need to do or is it a step too far? You know, with the school district, they've got the same problem. Um, they come after, uh, this comes after a few years of a lot of controversy around schools regarding masks and other things. Um, uh, the school district has been shaken up by the amount of people who um, maybe stayed homeschooling afterwards, people going to charter schools. And so what we've ended up with is ended up with a lot of schools that are... Um, uh, that have small capacities, like uh, are under capacity. We have uh, elementary schools that are fifty percent, you know, sixty percent, seventy percent. And when you start to look at all these schools, you start to realize that perhaps we're spending a little bit on on keeping schools that that are antiquated now that we don't have a population for. And should we restack our property a little bit and, and look at our resources before you go out for a sales tax? I think the district can make a, a pretty strong argument that, it's, um, that it needs more money. I don't know if it can make a strong argument that it's uh, got cost savings, that it's done everything it can to save uh, cost at this moment in regards to things such as transportation and, uh, and, and the number of schools it has open compared to population. And I just wonder if, uh, if the public has any trust in this board because it's a fairly new board and the superintendent's new. Yeah. you know and so you know when you're going out to sell this you really don't necessarily have the um the credentials uh f- with the public to be able to say trust me
0: all right uh i i guess we'll, we're going to find out in the next few months you know how these things are presented and you know what the public feels about them i realize there's a lot of mistrust um too uh over you know the masking versus non-masking and things like that in the school system, um, and then the transportation tax. You know it's the no tracks for tax, no tax for tracks people versus the you know we need more um, you know uh, urban uh, public transit, and so. You know we'll see how that goes, but before we end, let me ask you what's next for la Gaceta you know you you have stuck with this um subscription of newsprint kind of uh yeah, modality. You have a website, it's very rudimentary. you don't put everything on it. it says you want that, people yeah. to buy the newsprint paper, yeah. And uh, so what's what's next for La Gazeta? And let me ask you quickly, will you ever retire? And who's going to take over this family-run newspaper, one of the oldest family-run newspapers in the country? And who's going to keep that Ybor City flame burning?
1: Well, we don't have a, a, a strategy for the next generation. I have grandkids. Maybe by the time I get ready to retire, they'll be old enough to think about it. Um, you, you don't know, have
0: the, a succession plan? No succession
1: place. plan. Um um, but I still got a few years left in me, so we'll see what happens. Um, you know, like I said, it has been very old-fashioned. Um, um, I think that's one of the reasons why we've survived for 100 years is because we didn't waste a lot of money on trying to do things on the Internet that didn't pay off like a lot of our uh, other newspapers did. I, I really haven't seen it help a lot of papers grow. I've seen it basically replace their run of press. Uh, newspapers and uh, and reduce their actual income because, of course, print, printed advertising pays better than electronic advertising. Um, so at this mo- moment, uh, we probably will start to improve our our website, but but if we end up going and putting in the newspaper there, it will be a paid-for uh, situation. Uh, I think that people should pay for the news. It costs money to make, and... Um, and um, you know, I think that if you offer a product that people find unique, uh, they'll stick with you. I had a guy recently call me on a Saturday, and he said he was moving to Oregon, and he wanted to pay more to get his paper out there. And he said it's just uh, you know he's leaving Tampa, but it is does but he wants to keep a little bit of Tampa with him, so he wants uh wants to receive the paper there. And and you know, I'm sure he'll get it a week late being in the news and in, in the uh, post office, but. Um, Anyway, you know, we're a little slice of, of Tampa. We're, we're a little, little unique piece of it, and we give you a different perspective. And,
0: and how do you get it now? How are people getting the paper now?
1: $35. We'll send it to you for a year in the mail. Uh, we also are available at different uh, bodegas and, and, and convenience stores. So Wawa is one of the chains that carry us. Um, so we're happy to mail it to you and we're happy to take that support. It's the best deal in town. $35 <laughs> for 52 issues.
0: Right, right. I need to get my subscription renewed. <laughs> um, well, I do appreciate you being with us, Patrick, and and all of your insights on uh, local politics in particular since, um... That is, uh, is always a, it's a weekly it's a weekly uh, dose, right?
1: Uh, yes, yeah, absolutely. I uh, would come out every Friday.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, are you saying our hour's already over? I
0: mean, yeah uh, look at wow, the time I've got, This is the time when I have to thank you, the publisher of La Gaceta, the nation's only trilingual newspaper published right here in Ybor City, for coming to talk local politics and Tampa history with us. Uh, big thanks to our WMNF volunteers for running sound. Uh, and answering phones. Jessica Green and Barbara Fling, I appreciate you. And as always, thanks to you, our WMNF listeners, for keeping us on the air with your support and your donations and for allowing me to bring you Midpoint every Wednesday morning. Uh, If you... Joined the show without hearing the entire thing. You can hear it on demand from our WMNF website at the Midpoint page or from the app, our WMNF app available at any of your app stores. Now, please stay tuned for Duncan Strauss and Talking Animals after the news. And if you're driving east to west on 60, know that the Courtney Campbell Causeway is closed. We are WMNF Tampa.